Well, welcome to the table. I'm Thomas Thompson, your host, and I'm very excited about the conversation we're going to have today sitting here with two of my favorite people to talk to. Um, one of them is my co-host, J.M. Defogi. Hello, Thomas. How's it going today? You know, it's going great. Good. And another one is my good friend, Steve Brown. Hi, Steve. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you. Um, I really do mean it when I say I love talking to these guys. And I, what I'm kind of excited about is talking to them together and talking about what we're going to get into today. As we're in this series, uh, this season on spiritual formation, we're going to talk a little bit today about rest, Sabbath, and kind of those practices. And I was just saying to these guys a minute ago that I, th I really think that rest is one of the most underrated um, concepts when it comes to thinking about our spiritual formation and practice. Mm -hmm. And yet, if I don't want to give it all away, but as we get into it, I think we're going to see that I think God intended for it to be one of the most. So, Steve, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. Thank you very much. I work with a Christian group called The Navigators. Kathy and I have been involved with them for many years. And my role is part of the staff development and care team. I oversee our staff sabbatical process. Okay. And, of course, we use that as a way for staff to be rejuvenized. Uh, rejuvenized, is that the right word? Yeah, sure. And um, to get refreshed. And we've uh, through the years, we found that's just a tool. Mm -hmm. It's not the principle, but it's a way of talking about rest. Okay, yeah. So, so you get paid to think about and talk about and lead people through. I get to rest. raise funds. Okay, to talk to people about rest. Yes. Okay. Those are two different things, huh? <laughs> Tell me a little bit about how rest began to rise in priority for you. Oh, about uh, fifteen so years ago, I was asked to lead our sabbatical process for the for the navigators, and I just spent a year reading the Bible, asking you, Father, is our sabbatical process biblical and uh i actually concluded the answer is no and everybody raises their eyebrows because i've been leading this thing for several years and i said well our process itself is not biblical it's extra biblical but it's based on a biblical principle of rest what impacted me as i was reading through the scriptures is actually two passages if i could just share that that changed my life in terms of rest the first is in genesis 1 2 and 3 it's interesting to me the third thing God blessed in creation was rest. Day five, birds of the air, fish of the sea. Mm -hmm. Day six, man and woman. Day seven, rest. It's interesting that in chapter three, the third thing he cursed in the fall of man was the work of man's hands. Not work. Work is a gift. But he, he cursed the work of man's hands. He made it hard. So just that observation that the third thing he blessed in creation was rest. Third thing he cursed in the fall was the work of man's hands. In our fallenness, don't we often get the things of God backwards? And today we curse rest and bless work. Mm -hmm. Just that thought changed my perspective. That rest ought to be something that we celebrate, that we bless, just like God did there. The uh, second passage that got me was out of uh, Leviticus 23 and 25. And 23 talks about the Sabbath and all the different festivals and feasts mm -hmm. kind of thing. And uh, 25 talks about the year of Jubilee. And it's interesting in chapter 23, in each of those sections of the Sabbath and each of the festivals, there's one little phrase that stuck out to me. I was reading the, uh, the NIV Bible at the time. And the phrase is, no regular work. That in the Sabbath, no regular work. Each of the festivals, there would be times of no re regular work. 
my thought was when God was laying out a lifestyle for his people, it was to include periods of no regular work. Mm -hmm. Huh. That changed my life. That it's okay to have times of no regular work. Uh, I remember going back and reading about the Protestant Reformation and they were like, well, God clearly blessed it because, right, the, the economic boon that happened. And it's like, yeah, oh, but but we also cut 45 feast days out of the holy calendar, which basically added a month of work. So, well, so of course, there would be more economic production because we worked an extra 45 days in the year. There you go. And it, that actually got me thinking about the Sabbath. I know that's something that a lot of us talk about when we think about rest. We like to go to the Bible and use the idea of Sabbath. And as I've looked at Sabbath, uh, one of my thoughts, and everybody has different perspectives, the Sabbath uh, was countercultural at, at the time. It was not popular. It, uh, it took an act of faith to trust God for provision and for production. And uh, to trust him for that which isn't finished or to trust him for the unfinished. And I was thinking even today, anytime we take time off, we're trusting God for those things, hmm. for uh, that which isn't done. We're trusting him for provision. We're trusting him for production. When we talk about taking the day off like Chick-fil-A with its uh, business practice of not serving on Sundays and how for a while there is this rage around the country. How could they, you know, and yet that's an example, whether they're right or wrong, we don't need to talk about that, but they've chosen to take that day and trust God for all the money they're not going to get yeah. on that day. And that was their act of faith. Mm -hmm. I'll admit I'm, I'm one of the people that rage against that when I want, I want Chick-fil-A after church. Yeah. Right. <laughs> How can they not be open? You always want it most when you can't. That's have. right. Isn't that yeah. true? Well, and it's interesting to me because when you go back and you look at what God did with Israel, he takes them out of Egypt, where if you actually look at what Pharaoh is telling them, it makes a lot of sense to us in our modern mindset. Work harder, build bigger, store more. And that's where your security comes from. And it requires God taking them into the desert and saying, let me explain to you why this is not the way it is. I can do more with 90% of your life and your livelihood than you can do with 100% of it. Yes. yes. And you can't store any of it. No. You can. Because I, I, I know that if I'd been back then, I would have been like, well, I'll just put a little manna in my pocket. Then that way, you know, they'll have some... Um, yeah. Hey, I wanted to, Steve, I want to come back to something you said. You said we tend to always get things backwards. We, we curse mm -hmm. what God blesses and bless what God curses. Or, and you made a statement, we curse rest and we bless work. And I wanted to just hear your thoughts on why do you think we curse rest? I think rest is one of those things where we're, we get so bound up in work that for a lot of us, our identity itself is bound up in what we do more than whose we are. And uh, when we forget that we are God's beloved children, we think we have to work for acceptance. So I've taken a little esoteric aim at that, but it's the idea that I think with work, uh, I feel good about myself with what I'm getting done and I get a, get a paycheck. Rest is not something that our culture uh, lifts up. 
And rest in and of itself is very, very difficult. Kathy and I just came back from a week up in the mountains in a, in a ridge top in North Carolina <laughs> at a friend's cabin, three floors, sleeps 20 folks, hot tub, TVs, all kinds of stuff. And we decided to make uh, that week a retreat. We had been on the road for three weeks, lots of work, if you will. And it was interesting for both of us how we struggled with slowing down. We, it's like we're engaged and then getting disengaged was very difficult. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we've learned, uh, as I've talked to folks, is that when you engage and you're trying to get disengaged, there's an, a feeling that we have, and I call it dissonance. That between being engaged and disengaged where we rest, it seems like uh, we feel weird. And in feeling weird, we don't like it. And so I'd rather go back with what's familiar. And so entering into rest is actually more difficult than we think. You know, people have an ideal view of sitting on the beach in Tahiti. And, but the problem is they are there. They themselves, me inside of me, what's going on inside of me. Uh, I'm still sitting there. And even though it, around me everything looks wonderful, inside I, that, uh, that wheel inside of me that might be spinning really, really fast, even though I might be sitting uh, I'm not slowed down inside. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of us, we don't know how to slow down inside. And that flywheel is something I talk to folks about. What can we do uh, to help our flywheel to slow down? Mm-hmm. Now, some of us are made to be like a Porsche. And running at 120 miles an hour is wonderful. A lot of us are Volkswagens. And 60 is the best that I can do. And so that's okay. As long as we're running in the way God is de- de- designed us. And rest is one of those ways uh, where it's difficult for people to figure out how to slow down that flywheel. And whether you're the Porsche or the Volkswagen, both need times where they have slowed that flywheel down. It's not, you can't pull the, well, God just made me this way. I don't ever. Yeah. Because I I encounter people with that kind of attitude a lot or phrases, well, that's just how I'm wired. I'm, I'm always go, go, go. And I could see them being the ones that are most skeptical about this concept of rest. I don't need that. A lot of folks think that they, uh, in the military, which is part of my background, uh, we have a value of being able to go, go, go. I don't need rest. I don't need my leave time. I can just go, go, go. And one of the ways we've talked to folks, well, even our machinery has times of overhaul. Even I was in the Navy, so ships go into dry dock mm-hmm. every five to 10 years and are taken out of service for time to be rejuvenated. And, uh, and we would like that analogy to work for us, that uh, we do have limits as human beings, though we hate our limits. We, uh, we, th- we think they're okay for somebody else, but they're not good for me. And so the idea that uh, I don't have limits sounds kind of nice. But the reality is we do get tired and we do need to slow down. I think, I think for me, that's the core of why rest is hard. Um, right. The first lie is that you will be as gods, right? You will be as God. And we have embraced that fully in the fact that we can't accept that we were created to be finite beings and that there will always be things we are unable to do. And if the creator who is infinite took a day of rest to show us an example, 
why are we, I mean, I feel like it, there's this rebellion in me. No, no, I shouldn't rest. Thomas and I were talking about how uh, in the 10 commandments, the longest commandment is the one about rest. He's like, I understand you, you understand what it means when I say don't murder someone. You've got that. Now, when I say rest, let me take a lot longer to explain what I mean by that. I have this image that like when, when Moses is reading the 10 commandments, like out to the people and he, he says, okay, do not murder. And there's any, any questions. Okay, good. Uh, and he gets to, and he gets to this one on rest and all the hands go up, <laughs> but, but what, what about, um, well, can I get my neighbor? What if we rotate? I just, there's so many loopholes mm-hmm. that he closes in that verse. Yeah. And you had something really interesting that we talked about earlier on that. I'm trying to remember what it was. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting to me is the placement of the Sabbath. You have the commandments about how we are to approach and deal with God. And you have the commandments that are about how we are to approach and deal with our neighbor. And smack dab in the middle is the commandment on how to deal with ourselves. Because I think it was a, a series that you guys did a couple of years ago on rest. Where mm-hmm. it's, we are the best version of ourselves. We are the most Christ-like in our interactions when we are well rested. Yeah. And so I, it's this hinge that the two pieces kind of come together. In. Yeah, I... Oh, one of the most important parts of discipleship is a good night's rest. Mm-hmm. And uh, there used to be this ad on TV for Snickers and how uh, when <clears throat> you'd have somebody and, and they'd be on TV and they'd be uh, some actor would be playing them and, or they'd be like a bear or something. And someone would go, oh, oh what's going on? And they hand them a Snickers and they eat it. Then they revert back to their normal self. Mm-hmm. And the tagline was, you're not yourself when you're hungry. And I think there's a part of that that's true for us is we're not really our, ourselves when we are unrested. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that can look in many forms. So. Yeah. Uh, a lot of folks, when they talk about rest and uh, spiritual formation, they do talk about Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And most all the uh, verses people use to justify or to uh, highlight the idea of Sabbath comes from the Old Testament. So as I've struggled with that, that idea, uh, I'd have to tell you, I'm not particularly a seven-day Sabbath man. I'm probably a 12-day Sabbath man. I don't uh, uh, choose to rest every seven days. In fact, I don't choose a particular uh, schedule. Uh, one of the reasons why I, I'm thinking this this way is a lot of us look at the spiritual uh, disciplines or the spiritual formation strategies that we might use as a way of gaining our righteous standing before God. And though we know I'm not right before God, Jesus has com- made me complete in him. In, in Colossians uh, 2, verse 6, it says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Mm. And that verse has Im- impacted me. Um, that my righteousness shouldn't come from uh, the spiritual practices that, that I do. Now, is a spiritual practice a good thing to do? Absolutely. Yet, a lot of times, we'll do, I'm doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And we'll go to verses and stuff like that. So I think the Sabbath is a wonderful tutor. It's a wonderful tool. It's a wonderful principle. Um, as I've talked with people and each of us comes at this topic just from their experience, their story. Mm-hmm. And so this is just mine. It doesn't mean it's authoritative in that sense. Um, but as I talk to people, I think helping people understand 
uh, three ideas, rest, pace, and margin, is very, very helpful. And uh, not everybody can be off on Sunday, particularly in a 24-7 world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not everybody can uh, take a Sabbath the way we like to talk about it or take vacations. Or in the navigator world, we talk about the idea of taking a sabbatical, and not every, everybody can. And so as I've talked to folks, I've thought that rest pace margin might be a, a helpful way to communicate to people because everybody can practice their own rest, their own pace, and their own mar- margin in life. And as I've talked to folks about that, my idea on rest, pace, and margin is the idea that rest is, let's think about what recharges you, what fills you up, what recharges your battery. And let, let that be kind of what rest is for you. Uh, pace, we, we just touched on that a moment ago, is that the speed of that flywheel inside of you or the, the speed at which we live life. And uh, we can't all go at 110% all the time, but we can do it for a while. And some of us are Porsches and some of us are Volkswagens. And then the idea of margin is the idea that uh, we have a load that we carry and a limit in how we've been designed. And so if our load that we carry is less than the limit that we're designed for, we're in a positive margin in life. If our load is more than the limits we're designed with, we're in a negative or moving toward burnout. Mm -hmm. And this is where we talked a few moments ago about the idea of limits. Mm -hmm. And we don't like that. You know, uh, you might be a uh, 10-talent person, and I may only be a 4-talent person, but I'm looking at you and I wish I was like you and I want to live my life like you. Therefore, I will run past my rest. I will run past my pace and I will run past the margin the way that God made, made me. Hmm. So those are just some thoughts and the idea of I think we often get around the idea of Sabbath is how we should think about rest. And I think Sabbath would be a tool of something broader. And I'm calling that rest pace margin. Thomas, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, well, I, first of all, I'm I'm wondering when your book's going to come out. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I yeah, think that'd no, be that would really be really helpful. I book. like those three those three principles. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah, and I know I just, and uh, you've explained it to me before, but it's the RPMs of your life. I'm just having this image of I like, love this speedometer or whatever on on the cover. So I, I so JM and I had an interesting conversation about how how often the spiritual practices that we value come out of what we were taught or our tradition or even our personality and wiring. So if I grew up, for example, in a, in a really liturgical uh, background, I might have certain practices around prayer or confession mm-hmm. or whatever. And someone maybe in a more evangelical background would have practices maybe centered more around Bible study or, or sharing faith or just things like that. Or how, like I just realized I have taught people for years the power of journaling as, as a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. And I've also begun realizing that one of the ways I'm wired, I, I'm, a, I'm a very past-focused person. I like to think about the past and review it. And so, of course, that's a natural practice for me. And that, and I'm thinking, gosh, so often I've tried to encourage people that that might not be a good practice for some people. And so kind of with that thought that, that, that you said about in, in Colossians 2, that man, don't judge someone's Sabbath. 
um, you probably encounter hundreds, thousands of people that you deal with, and you're trying to help them think about rest and pace and margin, and they're all wired differently, and they're all valuing things. So what are some examples that we can give people that are listening of ways that people would engage in rest? Like, what are some things you've seen people do? That's a great, great question. Uh, my, the first way my mind went was uh, my wife, Kathy, is an extrovert, and I'm a very introverted man. And so in the Myers-Briggs assessment, that deals with how you get your energy. And so how you get your energy has a lot to do with rest. And so it's interesting. Um, the way my wife gets energized is very different than the way I get energized. Uh, this week we just spent in the uh, ridge top in this cabin in North Carolina for me was heaven. There was nobody there, nobody else to talk to. We could read, we could pray, we could sleep, we could watch movies, we could just do what I wanted to do. And Kathy's view was the very first day she sat on the front porch and she was saying, Father, help me to learn through this. Help me to grow through this. At the end of the Six days we were there. I said, so honey, how, how'd you do? Would you want to do it again? He said, oh no, I'm done. <laughs> hmm. I'm done. So one of the ways, reason why I like to talk about that is uh, to all the extroverts out there, I want to offer an apology because uh, us introverts have captured all the spiritual formation vocabulary. Hmm. And everything we talk about in terms of spiritual formation has an introverted perspective to it. It's solitude. It's time alone with God. Hmm. It's extended times of silence. It's time away from folks. We have a friend who wrote her dissertation on spiritual formation for extroverts. And uh, she was going through this and she, uh, she was told by three or four different people, this probably is not good for you. You are not wired to become a spiritual director. Because she was one of these hummingbird kinds of people just all over the place. So her dissertation is a spiritual formation for hummingbirds. And uh, they, the bottom line was she realized we need to do all the very same things. We extroverts need to do all the very same, same things that introverts uh, do. But we need to add an element that she, she called community. Mm -hmm. So, yes, she needs time alone in prayer. But then she needs to process it with someone. Yes, I need to have some solitude, but then I need some fellowship. And so almost on all the different uh, vocabulary words we use for spiritual formations, it has an introverted bent to it. And so extroverts need to figure out how can they grow in those areas, but to also be free to add a community or an extroverted bent to that. Mm. So that doesn't an answer the exact question that you asked, what have I seen that rests people? But just being aware of your design helps figure that out. People ask me, Steve, can I work on my car during the rest phase of my sabbatical? And I look at them and I say, I don't know. Can I ask you a question? Does resting on your, does working on your car rest you? Mm -hmm. Can I go fly fishing on my rest phase of my sabbatical? I don't know. Uh, does fly fishing rest you? Can I work in the garden? Can I mm -hmm. build out my basement? Can I study? Can I, can I just ask them, well, is that what rests you? Mm -hmm. And everyone's different.
Well, hey, this is a very fascinating conversation. We are out of time. I want to pause us here and pick this up next time. So, Stephen J.M., thank you. We'll keep talking. And uh, please join us for this next part of the conversation at Welcome to the Table.